Good morning. We are delighted, uh, if you are a visitor, that you have joined us today. And we're thankful for everyone's presence here as we have gathered uh, to praise our God and Father in heaven, to lift up the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. If you are a visitor, I hope you'll stick around for just a few moments and let us greet you and get to know you. Today is an exciting day for our church family. At the close of our assembly today, we will be appointing new elders and deacons to lead and serve alongside those already in place. The New Testament clearly establishes the, office, uh, the offices of elder and deacon in the early church. And because we desire to exemplify the church as it should be, we have men who serve as elders and deacons in our congregation. I said in a recent sermon about elders uh, that our church family has had elders leading here continuously for nearly 100 years. We probably have also had deacons that long as well. And again, as I said when I said that the first time, I'm not saying we should all give ourselves a big pat on the back and be proud of that. We should be thankful to God because we have been and continue to be blessed with many men who are qualified and who are willing to assume these roles. Now, this morning, I am going to keep it shorter than normal. And some of you are thinking, yeah, right, I'll believe it when I see it. I'm also sticking to a tighter script. And I'm mostly going to read from Scripture. I read recently about an older preacher who took a younger preacher uh, to share a sermon at a church in rural Alabama. This was well over 100 years ago. The young preacher stood up to read Ephesians 4, a portion of which we heard earlier in the reading, and he intended after the prayer to reread it and then to make comment on it. But as he was reading, he saw no need to comment. He thought that the text spoke for itself. Hey, there you go. Already, I already got an amen. All right. Well, many of the older brethren in the congregation, would you know, felt that the older preacher had made a big mistake in selecting this young man to come. And they said so. But the older preacher defended his young co-worker, saying that he had preached the best sermon he had ever heard because there were no additions or subtractions made. Preaching is a good thing, and I must believe that because I do it every week. And I'll be making a few comments along the way, especially at the close of my remarks. But sometimes, it is simply good for us to hear the Word. And that's what we will do today. Now, let's begin by considering the role of elders. The elders are the highest spiritual authority under Christ, of course, in the local congregation. And I want to read first from 1 Timothy Chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I do not have these texts up on the screen. So it may be helpful for you to grab your Bible and, and go to these places with me. The first uh, passage we will be looking at is 1 Timothy 3, starting at verse 1. And going to verse 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder or shepherd, we could insert. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, 
the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Verse 7. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Paul also provides a list of qualifications for the office of elder in Titus chapter 1, starting at verse 5. You can turn there with me. Paul writes, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and able to rebuke those who contradict it. Peter, one of the twelve apostles of Jesus Christ, of course, but also an elder himself, challenges his fellow elders in 1 Peter chapter 5, which is where we are heading next. 1 Peter 5. Starting at verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, Peter writes, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now at the end, I'm sure you noticed that Peter touches on the congregation's responsibility toward elders, our responsibility. We are called to submit to their leadership. And the Hebrews writer also talks about how we as the congregation are to treat our elders in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders, the Hebrews writer says, and submit to them, 
For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now let's turn to deacons. Deacons are the special servants of the church who emulate the humble service of our Lord Jesus in our midst. They are to set an example of selfless servitude that we are to follow. It's important to note here that elder and deacon are not honorary titles. They are roles of great sacrifice and responsibility. These men will, in addition to normal work and family duties, spend countless hours tending to the needs of the church. On the heels of his list of qualifications for elders, the Apostle Paul also provides qualifications for deacons. Look back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the chapter where we were earlier, starting at verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Lastly, I want to read from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1 to be exact. This passage, it doesn't mention deacon specifically, but it does capture the spirit of servanthood that deacons along with all members of the Lord's church, are called to exemplify. Let's read this passage together. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Lord's church is built to grow. 
We were made to expand. It is in our DNA. And so when a congregation is not growing or seeking to grow, she is resisting a basic component of who she is. And she has ceased to resemble the New Testament church in a central way. What began with 120 devoted believers grew to around 25,000 by the end of the first century. And by the year 350 A.D., there were as many as 34 million Christians in the Roman Empire. Why? Well, it's because the early disciples took Jesus seriously when He said to them, Go and make disciples of all nations. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now listen, I am thrilled with the growth that we have experienced here. With all the families that have placed membership, with all the ones who've been baptized into Christ, with all the babies born, with all the restorations, those who have come forward, with all those who attend here regularly, who worship with us on a regular basis, we're blessed. We've been blessed. But I am not content. I am not satisfied. We must continue to grow. We cannot stop because that's who we are. There are people who have yet to hear the gospel. There are groups of people, types of people in our community that we have yet to reach. There are wonderful ideas and programs that we have yet to attempt. There are creative, generous ways we have yet to try in blessing our neighbors. There is spiritual growth and maturation that we have yet to experience. We must grow. And we must have good leaders and good workers in order to do it. And that's what today is all about. Adding to the team of men who will oversee and shepherd and who will work and serve in our midst. Men who will pray fervently, who will work heartily, love fiercely, live honorably, defend the truth courageously, and serve selflessly. Not perfect men. Not flawless men. But men who understand that they need Jesus. Men who stand in daily need of His cleansing blood. And men who offer up their lives as a living sacrifice to Him. Continuing our trajectory of growth means we cannot settle for the status quo. When things are going well, it's always tempting to think, let's just keep everything the way it is. We don't want to mess it up. Such a view is an impediment to growth. Just the opposite is true. To keep growing, we must keep adapting, keep innovating and changing. And listen, I'm not talking about straying from the eternal truths of God's Word. Just the opposite, in fact. Because it's only through commitment to the Word and the example of the early church that we can grow as they did. So our roots must plunge deeper into the truth of God's Word so that our branches can grow taller and wider in order to bless the world. Now, here's what I believe about this church, this congregation, and I really, truly believe this. These are our glory days and the days ahead, too. Our best is before us, not behind us. And these new elders and deacons, along with the ones already serving through their commitment to the Lord and his church and the work at hand, will help ensure that that's the case. And they need us. Every last one of us 
every single person gathered in this room today and those who happen to not be here. They need us to join them in this greatest cause. So may God bless them and may God bless us. And I want to pause at this time and offer up a prayer, not only for the new elders and deacons being appointed today, but those who are already serving. Would you join me in that prayer? Let's pray. Father, we come before you humbly, and we are honored to approach your throne, and we feel so unworthy to bow before you. And yet, because of Jesus, we know that we can come before you confidently, that you hear us when we pray. Father, what a blessing. One that we have not earned, one that we do not deserve, but one that you have made possible through your grace and love. Father, at this time specifically, we lift up our elders and deacons who currently serve and the new elders and deacons who will begin their service today. Father, bless them with wisdom, with patience, with compassion, with boldness in defending your truth, with fierce love for the members here and for those in our community and the world over. Father, bless them with everything that they need in order to shepherd and lead and work and serve in a way that glorifies you and grows the church. Father, we know that their tasks are not easy, that the hours are long and hard, that the decisions are difficult and are often accompanied by sleepless nights, by tears, by constant prayer. Father, we hang on the promise that you've made throughout your word that you are with us. You told your people in the Old Testament, be strong and courageous and do not be afraid because you were going with them. And we know that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, your son said the same thing to us when he left the Great Commission and he said, behold, I am with you. Father, what you've called us to do, we know your presence will go along with us and empower us to do it. Help us to abide in your presence. Help us to never think that we are alone. Not for one moment are we alone. You're with us. And we can do what you've told us to do because of your presence. May your presence abide with our elders, our shepherds, and with our deacons, our servants, and with all of us as we undertake the great task of blessing the world around us, of reaching out with the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. We're about to sing a song. We call it the song of encouragement because its purpose is to offer encouragement to anyone who comes and needs to give their life to Jesus Christ. The song that we're singing today is an old song made new. It's called, Just As I Am, I Come Broken. The verses sound just like the beloved old hymn, Just As I Am. But somebody came along and added a beautiful chorus that pairs perfectly with this old favorite. And I like to think that that's a whole lot like this gospel invitation. This is not a new new appeal. This is an old appeal. This is an old invitation. And yet every time it's made, it is new It is fresh. It is as relevant as it ever has been. The invitation is, if you don't share a relationship with Jesus Christ, one that brings life and salvation, then you can come and begin your walk with Him. How? By repenting of your sins, 
by confessing that you believe Jesus Christ is Lord by being baptized for the, for the forgiveness of your sins. Or if your life has gone astray and you need to come and confess sin, if you need to come and be restored, if you're just struggling and you need the prayers of your brothers and sisters, then, then come. We invite you to come. Listen, God loves you just as you are. But He loves you much too much to leave you where you are. He wants to change you from the inside out. He wants you to offer up your body as a living sacrifice to Him. He wants to give you life. He wants to transform your life, make your life an offering to Him, and you will want to live in a way that expresses your gratitude to Him for His saving grace. If there's anybody here who needs the Lord this hour, why don't you come while we stand and sing?